0: heights to the depths of the
1: sea elisha stay here for the lord has sent me to jericho so now again he's making this southern trek from uh gilgal you know then to you know uh, bethel and now he's he's gonna say now i need to go to jericho but elisha said as the lord lives i'm not gonna go i'm not gonna leave you and so the sons of the prophets verse 5 uh, told him the same thing. Don't you know your master's going to be taken away? Yes, yes, I know. Would you please
0: stop saying it? Draining, uncontainable Everyone, and thank you for joining us. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with senior pastor and teacher Rob Kellogg. Elijah continued to test the devotion of Elisha, and Elisha continued to stay with his mentor until his anticipated unusual departure. Elijah knew that God had a dramatic plan for the end of his earthly life. Yet he was perfectly willing to allow it all to take place privately without anyone else knowing. Elisha would not leave his mentor until God took him away in the dramatic way promised. Now let's join Pastor Rob's teaching, already in progress.
1: Elisha said to Elisha, Notice, stay here. Please, for the Lord has sent me on to Bethel, which means the house of God. Whenever you have a word, and then you have l at the end of it el that means god so beth means house of god l is god l is always god l el elion l el shaddai it means god you know um and so bethel is the the house of, of god but Elisha said, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. And, and, we're gonna, and so they went down to Bethel together. And, and we're going to see this as we already have uh, at least three times where Elijah is going to say this, you know, stay here, stay here, stay here. And it's puzzling why Elijah wanted him to stay. And, and we really don't know why. Perhaps uh, because Elijah knew that this was going to be a supernatural event. He knew that he was going to be taken up. By God, maybe he didn't know that it was God's will that Elisha be with him during that event. But I think this is very interesting. It's a very interesting moment. It's a very touching moment here because Elijah knew what God was going to do, and and that God had uh, used Elijah in his life to mentor him for a time, and that Elisha would succeed him ultimately. But Elisha loved Elijah and no doubt saw him as a father figure. He didn't want to leave him. He learned a lot from him. But isn't it true that there always comes a time when uh, things have to change as we grow? Isn't that interesting how as we grow up there's there's a time when we're under our parents' wing and then there's a time where we have to become a little more independent and we have to learn to grow on our own. We have to stand on our own two feet. And, and moments like that are watershed moments in the life of every person. Sometimes it may be a child going off to college who's lived at home all of their, their life and now all of a sudden the day comes when in September when they've gotta pack up their car and their VW bug or whatever, you know, and, and they travel off to you know some college and the parents are out there in the you know, waving down the street, you know, and their child is waving out the window. There's a time. When things have to change, and I see the same kind of heart in Ruth. You remember in, in the book of Ruth, where Naomi, having lost her husband, and then she goes into she goes into uh, Moab with a husband and her two sons. Her two sons marry two Moabite women, and then her husband dies in Moab, and then her two sons die in Moab, and then the, the two women, uh, 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 Ruth and her, and her sister, they come along with Naomi back to Israel, back to Judah, and Naomi is trying to get the two daughters-in-law to go back to their home, hometown, their home area, and remarry and have kids. And the one daughter goes, but remember Ruth, what she said, that she said, Look, your sister, or Naomi said, Look, your sister has gone back to her people and to her gods, unfortunately. Return after your sister in law. But Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God will be my God. And where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. And the Lord do so to me and more also, if anything but death, parts you and me. Same kind of heart that Ruth had to Naomi as Elisha has to Elijah. I'm not going to leave you, Elijah. You've placed this authority. You've come alongside of me. I know that you're mentoring me. And I'm not going to let you out of my sight. I'm not going to let you out of my sight. Now the sons of the prophets, verse 3, who were at Bethel, came out to Elisha and said, Do you not know that the Lord will take away your master from over you today? And he said, Yes, I know. Keep silent. (laughs) So the Spirit of God evidently had made known to these prophets that this event of Elijah being taken up into heaven was going to happen. It was a very supernatural event. It was going to happen. And there were at that time in Israel schools of prophets. No doubt that Elijah had birthed himself all along in these different uh, towns in Israel. And remember at that time also that Baal worship was very prevalent. And God, God's heart was to root it out. Baal being the god of the Canaanites, the god of fertility, the god of war, the god of the rain and the agriculture. That's who they worship, this false demonic entity. And so Elijah raises up a whole school of prophets. They were basically Old Testament seminaries, if you think of them like that. So now the sons of the prophets, you know, they, they, and he says, yes, I know, keep silent. And, and, th- and this shows the emotional difficulty, again, for Elisha, as well as the sanctity of this event that was about to take place. He knew that it was coming, and they kept reminding him, but it was such a sore topic. Have you ever had something like that, when somebody keeps reminding you of something that you know is coming, and it's really kind of a sore issue for you, and yet they keep reminding you, and you're like, "I, I okay. I get it. I get it. Stop talking about it. <laughs> Have you had people do that? Well, that's the, what was happening here. They were telling him, don't you know he's going to leave? Yes, I know. I'm not looking forward to it, and I know it's going to be today. I'm not looking forward to it. And why would he be excited about it? I mean, it's, it's like being thrown into the deep. He's, always, he's, he's had this covering over him, this great looming figure. And now that looming figure is going to be taken out of his life. You know, sometimes God has to take somebody that you've, maybe it is a a figure of authority or a father figure, whatever it may be, a figure of authority. The Lord at some point has to take it away from you so that you will grow. Because we will be very happy to sit under the shadow of of that visage, of that protection over that authority. And we're happy to stay there. And God's going, you know what, I have to take this and there's more reasons than this, but there comes a time where you've got to do it. So, verse four. Uh, then Elijah said to Elisha, "Elisha, stay here, for the Lord has sent me to Jericho." So now, again, he's making this southern trek from uh, Gilgal, you know, then to you know uh, Bethel, and now he's he's going to say, "Now I need to go to Jericho." But Elisha said, as the Lord lives, I'm not going to go. I'm not going to leave you. And so the sons of the prophets, verse 5, told him the same thing. Don't you know your master is going to be taken away? Yes, yes, I know. Would you please stop saying it? You guys are like lemon juice on a paper cut. Stop it. Then Elijah said to him again, stay here, please. For well, the Lord has sent me onto the Jordan. And so now from this place of Bethel, now he's going to um, go east now, crossing the Jordan. But now they're going to be right there at the Jordan River. And so 50 men of the sons of the prophets, they went and they stood facing them at a distance while the two of them stood by the Jordan River. And Elijah took his mantle, he rolled it up, and he struck the water, and it was divided this way and that. And the two, the two men crossed over on dry ground. And when you see something like this, it ought to remind you of some things that happened in the, New, in the Old Testament. Excuse me. The first one is when Moses held up his staff and parted the Red Sea, and a couple million people, probably about two million people, crossed the Red Sea on dry ground again. Same thing happens. And it's in Exodus 14. As well as when the Levites, remember, as right before they were coming into the promised land, what happened at that venture? The the Levites carrying the Ark of the Covenant, they, the, the Jordan River is right there, and they're getting ready to cross over into Jericho. They can see Jericho from where they're at. They're about ready to step in, and God tells them to carry the Ark and step in. They're like, I'm going down. <laughs> this thing is roaring like a freight train in front of me. And so they, by faith, they step out. And as soon as they step in the water, the thing just parts for them. And again, dry ground, dry ground. I say that on purpose because there's so many scholars today in universities, liberal scholars, that will try to uh, wrestle away these things that the Bible makes very clear. And don't ever let them do it. Don't ever let a scholar or somebody who thinks, they and maybe they are knowledgeable, but guess what? They're not as wise as God, and they certainly don't know the word of God. I'm going to believe this before I believe anybody with a degree behind their name. I can respect them, and I'm, I'm all for that, but I'm going to believe what God says, and not so much everybody else. Amen? Amen? And folks, we have to be that way today, because if we are not, we are going to be succumbing to all kinds of hurtful, devious things. And that's why Christianity today is at an ebb. People are believing what the scientists are telling them. People are believing what the high-flutened elites are telling them, and they're being washed away. Their faith is being washed away because they're believing them rather than putting their feet on the rock, which is Jesus Christ. Don't ever let anybody take you off the rock. You stay firm on it. Hundreds of years, even a few thousand years, this book has been in existence. And anybody who has come at it trying to disprove it has either gotten saved or they've been killed. (laughs) Or they've lived miserable lives. You cannot thwart God. I'm sorry, but he wins. He's the chess master. He knows the move before you move. And he loves you. Don't ever forget that. He loves you intensely. In fact, he loves you so intensely that he knew there was no other way for you to be reconciled to him and to be with him forever, which is his heart's desire. So what did he have to do? He had to allow himself in the form of his son to be put on the cross and wrongfully killed and murdered on a cross and pay the punishment that you and I could never pay because he was almighty god he perfectly fulfilled all of the old testament prophecies only christ can do that no one else no professor from from harvard or yale or even oxford they can't they can't do it jesus alone exalt his name love him notice in verse 9 back in our text and and so it was when they crossed over that Elijah said to Elisha, "Ask what I may do for you before I be taken away from you." and Elisha said, "Please let a double portion of your spirit be upon me Now think about what a wonderful thing this is elijah, elisha didn't want you know elijah 's bank account; he wanted a double portion of the anointing of god 's spirit upon him, and usually, when a father died that the next born son, the firstborn son, would receive a double portion of of the inheritance. He would receive a double portion over any of the other siblings. And so as Elisha is saying this, Elijah understands what's happening. And he says, well, it's not for me to give. If that's, God's, if that's what he wants, and he's going to do that and even put a condition on it. If you see me, when this thing takes me up, then, then God will answer you. But if not, then it's not going to happen. But I love what a wonderful thing that is. Notice that it was a spiritual blessing; it wasn't a physical blessing. Families, I would encourage you to think about, you know, what you leave for your kids when you when you leave this earth. Most people have a will and testament, and unfortunately, there are people who have uh, developed and amassed a great deal of wealth and then they put it in their will for their sole child, their one child that they have, and then they pass from the scene and this one child takes their fortune that they've amassed for years and spends it on silly, dumb things, becomes drug addicts or becomes a drug addict and, and, and allows most of it to go up their nose or in their arm. And totally squander their parents inheritance. It happens all the time. But I love it how when a, a Christian mom or dad says the great yes, I'm going to give you something, and it's going to be in trust until you're 18, until you're able to handle it. And until then, I'm going to train you on how to handle it when, so that when you get it, you can handle it rightly. But I'm going to give you an even greater blessing, and that is the heritage of Christ, I'm going I'm to tell you the truth. I'm going to tell you what God has done in my life, and I'm going to train you up in the way that you should go, so that when you are when you are older, you will not depart from it. Isn't that the most important blessing? More so than the physical dollars and cents. I mean, I know some families where that's happened, where that you know the 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 mother or father was filthy rich. They, they they worked hard all their life. They're Christians. They they got it in the right way. And then when they died, they gave it away to charities, and their kids got very little or nothing. <laughs> and the kids, you know, hopefully if they grew up right underneath them, they're, they're, they're not too upset about it. I'm sure there's some grumbling. But the greatest heritage those parents gave them was work hard. Work hard. Be honest. Read the Bible. Give your heart to Christ. Be that light and salt in this dark and ugly world. The greatest thing that could be given right so verse 10 so he said you have asked a hard thing nevertheless if you see me when I'm taken from you it shall be done to you but if not then it won't be so elijah obviously couldn't guarantee that this was going to happen but he left it up to the lord so then it happened as they continued on talking that suddenly notice a chariot of fire literally chariots of fire appeared with horses of fire and notice it separated the two of them it went between the two of them separated them and then he was taken up by a whirlwind. Do you notice that it wasn't he didn't go up in the chariot? (laughs) He didn't go up in the chariot. He wasn't on a horse when he ascended into heaven. And let me ask you, do you believe that that happened or is this just allegory? Is this just a cute story that you can tell kids in Sunday school? No, I believe that this happened because it did. It did happen. And it parted the two of them and then in a whirlwind, and lightning and flash of clouds, the Lord took Elijah up into heaven. I find it interesting, too, that the same area that Moses died, in the plains of Moab, on top of Mount Nebo, just opposite Jericho is the same place that Elijah was now being taken up into heaven. And I just think that's pretty Interesting. And Elisha saw it, and he cried out, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel and its horsemen. So he, he saw him no more, and he took hold of his own clothes, and he tore them as a sign of grief, which is what they would do. They would just tear their clothes from top to bottom. And he took the mantle, and he stood by the Jordan. He also took up the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him and went back and stood at the bank of the Jordan. here is the moment of truth, right? Is God really... Uh, doing this? You know, is God really going to um, continue to do what, he's, what he said he was going to do? And certainly he does. He does do that. Then he took the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him and struck the water and said, where is the God of Elijah, the Lord God of Elijah? And when he had struck the water, it was divided this way and that, and Elisha crossed over. And this was confirmation that God had granted to Elisha his request. And again, this mantle was just a physical, symbolic representation, if you will, of what God had done. There was nothing magical about the mantle in and of itself. Because when something wonderful like this happens, people tend to worship the mantle. Like they did with the brass serpent. You know, it got to the point where one of the kings, I think it was Hezekiah, finally, when he realized that the children of Israel began to worship this pole that was used out in the wilderness, he called it Nehushtan, a curse. (laughs) And he crushed it into powder. And he got rid of it because they began to worship it. There's nothing significant about the, the, the mantle other than that it was symbolic of the authority and the power that God had given to Elijah. It was not a lucky charm. And God's not going to give his glory to some hairy garment. He's not going to do it. He alone is king. He alone deserves the glory. No one else should touch it. No one else. It doesn't belong to anyone else but him. And rightly so, because guess what? He's the king. I mean, I don't know if you read Genesis 1 verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. It doesn't say, in the beginning, Rob created the heaven and the earth. No, it says, in the beginning, God, Elohim, created the heavens and the earth. Everything that there is, the earth and the, everything belongs to him. It all belongs to him. He has a right to do with it what he wants. And aren't you glad that you serve a benevolent God who loves you? And he only has your best interest. In fact, he's the only one who has the best, his best interest for you. Because I don't even have my own best interest for myself. I proved it for the first twenty-four years of my life because I lived like a pagan, <laughs> and then God gets a hold of me, and now I'm walking with Him, and what a joy it is! Are you are you glad that you're a, a believer tonight? Amen. Yeah, yeah, we're glad because of what He has done for me. He saved me from an eternal eternal damnation that would never end. Oh Lord, thank you so much! That is something to rejoice in. Yes put on our robes and dance. Yes, (laughs) it's that exciting. It really is. But notice the sons of the prophets came to him and they saw him and they said, the spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha and they came to meet him. And again, they weren't worshiping Elijah, but really showing respect out of the one um, who was going to take Elijah's office. And he says, and then they said to him, look, there's 50 strong men here. Let them go search for, and I'm paraphrasing here because we've already read this. Let's go look for him. Because maybe the Lord took him up in a whirlwind, and just like they do out in, in Kansas, you know, somebody gets lifted up and they find him three miles away. You know, a baby in a carriage. I've actually heard of that one time. A baby was taken up into a tornado and they found him, the baby, two or three miles away, un, un, unharmed. I'm like, how does that happen? But God. Remember those two words? But God. And so it happens. And finally, they're like, Let's go. we're going to go look for him. No, you, you don't need to. He's gone. He's in the heaven. What are you wasting your time for? But they wouldn't listen. And he's like, okay, go check it out. Send out your dogs. Send out the dogs. Send out the bloodhounds. Here's, a, here's one of his you know, shoes. You can smell the scent and take off. Go find him. You're, gonna, you're, gonna, you're not going to find him. Like the disciples of Jesus, these prophets were slow to learn and believe what the Spirit of God had already told them. Didn't he tell them? He did tell them. The Bible doesn't tell us specifically when he did, but they knew that God was going to take Elijah to heaven. Why wasn't that good enough? Why did they have to argue with God and say, no, just to make sure. We're going to go see if we can find him over on the mountain over there or in the valley. And he's like, why are you bothering? Don't don't you believe what God, what the Spirit of God told you? It's so important to believe what God says. He's not going to deceive us. He's not going to lead us in a direction that he doesn't want us to go. No, he wants to lead us into all truth. He wants to lead us to a glorious future. That's his heart. And anybody who thinks differently doesn't understand the nature of God. Yes, he sometimes allows us to go through difficult things.
0: That's the end of our lesson for today, but please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of 2 Kings. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m., Monday through Friday at area code 585.